You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. Hello once again, everybody. Welcome back. I'm your host, Nick Scheist, and it is time for the 6th Annual Scheist Film Awards. Welcome back. You're, you're here. We're here. It's the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6th Annual Scheist Film Awards. The second time that I've decided to do it in audio version. There is a print version coming. I'm working on that. That will be done a little bit after this. Hopefully talking through some of this will help me get my mind right for some of these things. I have a spreadsheet with a lot of information on it but I don't track it very well during the course of the year and I'm always up against the clock and it's the night before the Oscars and I'm still scrambling. So I don't know that this list is going to be perfect, but I think I've got a good enough idea. So thanks for coming back and helping me. Thanks for having me. I can't do it without you, Ben. Aw. And speaking of which, we're going to try to do a new show that's not the Pick'em show that's the two of us uh, and we're gonna go on film journeys of different uh, different caliber different era different style different theme and we started with the cinema stripathon <laughs> that we're still not finished with yet and we've got to come up with a name for the show and I've got to get all of that kind of like pre-production stuff lined up but we are going to do that and I think before we get into kind of the meat of the awards I want to talk about uh, A Quiet Girl or is it The Quiet Girl? I don't even remember we just saw this thing an the, hour ago. It's The. It is The Quiet Girl. Uh, it was one of the last outliers heading into <clears throat> Oscar Sunday that I had yet to see I just had to resign myself to the fact that I am not going to be able to see every single movie from 2022 that I wanted. Uh, I saw a lot of them. I believe I saw the vast majority of Oscar contenders. So I feel like without burning myself completely out that I got pretty close. I mean... Every year is a struggle, and I, I see typically in the neighborhood of 150 to 200 new films a year, and you know, that's a lot, um, and that covers a lot of bases, but there's always some stuff that slips through the cracks, but A Quiet Girl, sorry, The Quiet Girl is one of those movies, and I think it has a better chance than I initially thought because it's very different than its competitors, and it's very emotional but it's done in a very meticulous and well-paced 
slow burn kind of a way. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about the slow burn component. The actress that played the quiet girl, Catherine Clinch, was it was very good. I mean, the majority of it, as you could probably guess by the title, doesn't involve her doing a lot of talking. So she has to be very emotive with her body language. And the director had to make a lot of intentional kind of long shots and just sit with her in the quiet and get to a place where her body language and kind of the framing of the scene and the, the silence in the room starts to pick up notes for what the story is. And it was actually quite good. Um, did a little crying at the end. Yep, for sure. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it. Um, but among many very, very good foreign films, there's even a handful of other uh, international features that didn't make the cut that are also very good. So I think maybe this year in particular, the field that was competing for best international feature was as good if not better than the field that's competing for best picture because there's only five that can make the cut for international but I think it's a 10 minimum for best picture so it's a little bit tighter of a race and you have to be a little more selective where I think you could get away with nominating some stuff for best picture that really doesn't have a chance to win I think everything that's in the category for Best International has a chance. Although I still haven't seen Argentina, I'm not going to try to like force feed myself that before tomorrow night, but I will put it on the list to get to. So I have a list of all of the categories. There's some that I'm not going to do for the show because it's going to take too long, so it's going to be in the written version if you're interested in that at all and if you're not that's totally okay too i'm gonna try and keep this recording uh, short enough i don't necessarily want it to go on for multiple hours if i can get it in less than an hour that'd be great if we can do it in less than 90 i think that's realistic and doable but you're glaring at me and <laughs> You want to do only an hour. It's only, I mean, it's 8 o'clock right now. If we're done by 9, that's good for me at least. Because there's going to be still time after that that i got to do a lot of post-production stuff and still write a whole written article. Yay! So i got to be better about not burning myself out at this point of the year again next year. Because I did the same thing with football season where I was like burnt out. Finally came around at the end. I was just tired, didn't want to do it. I got a break. And then I didn't use that break well enough. I've had a month since the Super Bowl, basically. And I caught up on a lot of movies. And I, you know, I wrote about a lot of the ones from 2022 that were outliers that I hadn't gotten to. But I'm still so far behind the curve on that. I just need to understand that I'm not going to get to it. And I have to accept that. And what did I tell Brandy the other day? That there's no such thing as perfect. And I'm just going to have to go with what's good enough. So that's what we're doing now. It's the Good Enough Award Show. <laughs> but I do have uh, my opinions in place, and we'll get to some of those. So, brrr, drum roll. What is the first thing on my list? 
Weirdest movie. Weirdest movie. That I'm going to give to... I'll insert the drum roll later. But that movie is glorious. It's a Shudder original, I believe. It uh, doesn't have the highest scores, but directed by Rebecca McKendry. I'm pretty sure she... She's got, I don't know if it's a PhD because that sounds a little excessive, but I think she has a degree in like horror cinema. That's a thing? I don't know. But I'm, I think she hosts a podcast and stuff as well. That podcast is Killer POV. I don't know if it's still running, but I keep hitting my headphones on this stupid spit guard. Anyway, uh, <laughs> she now also works as part of the, I think, Blumhouse team, and I believe this film kind of spawned from that. I don't know all the details of where this film came from. That's a whole different story, a different episode. Um, but this is a story of a guy who ends up at a like a national parks rest stop. And he goes into the bathroom and the door locks. And he doesn't know that. And he goes in the stall and he realizes that someone's talking to him from the other stall. There's a glory hole in the wall of the stall. And so he's freaking out because he doesn't know what's going on. And it turns out that this entity is in the other stall. And it wants something from him. And I'm not going to spoil the movie. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what it is that this entity wants. But the movie is called Glorious. For a reason, stars Ryan Quanton, uh, J.K. Simmons, voicing the entity. Quite good, very entertaining. I love things that are very drenched in neon pink, and this is one of them. So, weirdest movie of the year, at least weirdest movie that I saw, I'm going to give it to Glorious. What's next? Most original movie. Most original. That's, that's one that I've kind of gone back and forth on. Because there was a title that I had in mind that when I initially saw it, I thought it was probably going to be that one. But then in doing a little bit of digging and doing some film club discussion, I think I realized that, hey, this movie was heavily influenced by another film. So I'm going to pivot, pivot, pivot. Oh. <laughs> and I'm going to go to this is Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon and this is a very very interesting strange movie as well lots of neon as well uh, it may hurt your retinas a little bit <laughs> in certain scenes because there is like a fluorescent glow in the dark kind of thing going on in a couple of them but this is uh, Anna Lily Amarpour who directed A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, The Bad Batch, which was less well-received, but I liked. And I think if you trace kind of the trajectory of her work, you look at Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, it's kind of like Greece, but I think it's in Iran, and it's in black and white. But the style is very much like 50s romanticized vampires. A little gory when it gets to it, but 
you move on to the Bad Batch, and then it's like it's in the desert, so it's a lot of earth tones, it's cannibals, and then you move into this one, which is much more uh, contemporary. The one in the desert, I think, is set in the future as well, the Bad Batch, and in Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon, it's very contemporary, and you start off in a mental hospital, and this young woman is in the mental hospital. She gets loose and she's got uh, some special gifts that she decides to impart on some unknowing people and it's got a really good cast too Kate Hudson is great in this movie Uh, it really made me want to see a project she's got coming up I think this week maybe next week but it's a way different role, but I was like, I was just reminded that Kate Hudson is a very good actress when given the opportunity to do something different than she's normally given. And it also has Ed Screen, who played the villain in Deadpool, who was the original Dario Naharis in Game of Thrones. He gets to play a very weird character that was originally supposed to be Zac Efron. I would have liked to see Zac Efron in this role because of what it is. Um, But this movie was one that I had trouble pinning down. Most of the time when I'm watching movies, I'm like, okay, I have an idea of where this is going. We'll get there eventually. With this one, I'm like, I really don't know. I have no idea what the plot of this movie is or where it's supposed to be going or where it's going to end. What I do know is that I want a sequel for this movie because it ends in a way that leaves the door open for that and I want to see uh, Jung Seo I want to see her get the opportunity to follow up with this character because it was a good performance for her as well Um, so I think I will sit with that as my most original because I want more people to see it and I'm happy to put my endorsement stamp on that so I'm good with that okay what what do I have next on this list? Best sequel or prequel? <sighs> okay, so I don't know. Why I'm gonna waste too much time with this. I'm not going to. Uh, Top Gun. Yeah. Were there any others? I mean, I'm sure there the was year? a lot. Let me see my spreadsheet. I know I have some others on this potentials list. <laughs> Avatar two. Wakanda forever. Uh, Prey was a prequel for Predator, but yeah, Top Gun. Top Gun, yeah, for sure, sure Top Gun. Uh, it's great, even if I can't like get it any other awards, which I don't know that that's the case yet. But in terms of it being a reasonably done sequel that honors the source material, that picks up on the story where it left off, that has emotional impact, that is also just bigger and better than the sequel in or than the original in the technical departments as well like i don't i don't see how i could not give it to top gun unless i was just so in love with avatar 2 which i am 100 not so top gun maverick come on down what's next best reboot or remake <clears throat> that's a little bit of a tougher one because we're looking at the Batman, which at the beginning of the year, 
was a really good contender. The Robert Pattinson film. You saw this movie. Yeah, but I didn't realize it was 2022. Oh, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. It was so far at the beginning of the year that I think uh, at that point in the year, it was like, this is one of the better films. And I think as more distance happened and more other things came out, I think it may be lost a little bit of its luster. So the one that I think stands out is All Quiet on the Western Front because I don't know that it's necessarily a remake, but there was a TV movie based on the book as well. And I think if I'm including this, which is not technically a remake of the movie, it's another adaptation of the book. But if I'm willing to include that, then I would say All Quiet on the Western Front is the winner. But that would still count as a remake, right? I don't know. I don't know the rules, but I know that for sure the Batman is a reboot of the Batman franchise, not a remake of Batman. So this is remake or reboot. So I don't know. So depending on how you're going to qualify it, if you think it's just reboot, I would say Batman, the Batman. If you're willing to include another adaptation of a novel versus a TV movie that was already adapted from that novel, but it's not a remake of the TV movie then all quiet on the western front so i don't know flip a coin either one of those but i think they both have their merits okay what's next best soundtrack best soundtrack that's a tough one i think the easy answer for best soundtrack is elvis yeah but i think the sexy answer is metal lords which is about this like group of kids that get into heavy metal uh, in, I think, grade school. They put a band together. I, I think it was a straight-to-streaming release as well. But I was looking at the track list, and if you like metal, it's a great soundtrack. <laughs> if you don't, you probably don't think so. If you love Elvis, you would probably lean towards Elvis. So I think the easy answer is Elvis. I think if I'm being a little bit more finicky i would say the better track list overall the you have bigger bands more of them where it's like elvis is elvis music so easy answer elvis metal lords the maybe better more complete answer mona lisa and the blood moon has a really good soundtrack as well though uh but we'll just say elvis okay all right what's next must see documentary You know, I didn't see as many documentaries as I wanted. We watched Stutz, which is an interesting one. It's a good examination of, like, the importance of having someone in your corner for mental health purposes. I saw Second Chance, which is a very interesting story if you like true crime kind of stuff. I think that one's super interesting, but I can see why it wouldn't get nominated for Best Documentary. Um, I have... Moon Age Daydream on there, the David Bowie one, which I really loved, and it's very creatively shot as well. So you got that. Um, Luca Guadagnino had a Ferragamo documentary, The Shoemaker. And I just saw All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. And I think, even though I struggled with it, I think early on, by the end of it, like you can feel that it 
lands on several different levels, which is kind of uncommon for a documentary. So I see why it's considered, you know, one of the better films of the year, why it's up for best documentary feature. And I think subject-wise, being big anti-pharma and also there's some mental health components to this story as well. I think All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is the right answer. Did Stutz get nominated for anything? I doubt it, but it's possible. What's next? Breakout Performers. Ooh, a fun one. Breakout Performers, one of my favorites. So, one that I think has slipped under the radar here in this category. It's one that, you know, you don't really see um, in the big award shows, but some of the smaller ones do it. I know my mom's company, when they were still doing this, they did have like a breakthrough award. So one of them I'm gonna say is Jeremy Pope. I always give out two of these. And one of them is Jeremy Pope for the inspection. Which one was that? He joins the Marines. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gay and he has to Mm -hmm. keep that under wraps. And he's got issues with his mother who will never approve of him. And it's a very emotional performance from him. And I hadn't seen him in anything else. It doesn't mean he hasn't done anything else. But I think it was a big leap into, like, leading performance territory for him. So that's why I will say breakthrough, breakout performance. What do I have it written as? Breakout? Breakout performers. Breakout performers. And on the other side of that coin, Stephanie Sue from... She's, I mean, she's in Everything Everywhere All at Once. She is the primary supporting role the daughter of Michelle Yeoh in that film we know her from Marvelous Miss Maisel but in terms of jumping into like a high profile film role that's got a lot of recognition uh, even more so than Jeremy Pope but I think Stephanie is hugely responsible for the success of everything all everywhere all at once as well so I think that's kind of a layup with her but I always have runner-ups, and my honorable mentions for this category go to uh, Eden Dambreen, who was in Close. He was the lead. And I, I don't want to butcher her name, but I believe it is Siri Solalina from, I think it's called Hatching. The one where she finds that weird egg and then a giant creature comes out of it and like becomes her clone oh yes yeah she's very good in that though very good uh so those are my runner-ups but it's jeremy pope and stephanie sue at the top so what's next breakout directors breakout director that's always an interesting one there are a handful i typically give two of these as well but it's a little closer because I know one for sure in Charlotte Wells for After Sun. I think that was a fantastic debut. A, a lot of people hate it After Sun. They just think it's boring and slow and there's nothing going on. But I think if you can kind of be in the right space with it, the right wavelength for it, as I like to say a lot, I think After Sun is a very good film. And. It's different than a lot of the things I've seen this year. 
and I saw it at the time where there was a bunch of other films I was seeing in November. And as I continued to add films on, I kept thinking about After Sun and how it did things differently. And I think that says a lot. So I'm going to say for sure, Charlotte Wells. I am not 100% on the second one, but for me, it's either Dean Fleischerkamp, who did Marcel the Shell. So good. Which I loved. Marcel was great. I think it's like that feel-good film of the year that one every year there's one movie like that that I'm just like I love this movie Peanut Butter Falcon was one of those uh, Coda was one and then the other uh, so it's it's either going to be Dean or Chloe Okuno for Watcher very different types of films Watcher is very dark very cerebral the one uh with like the serial killer across the street, basically. So that's very different than Marcel the Cell. The, the Shell. Marcel the <laughs> Shell with shoes on. That's him. Very different than a movie about a serial killer who keeps his severed heads in a plastic shopping bag. So, I think personally, I would say... Dean Fleischer camp, but I wanted to give at least an honorable mention to Chloe and I think John Patton Ford for Emily the Criminal too. So those would be like my in the conversation directors for breakthroughs. What's next? Comeback of the year. Well, the easy answer for comeback of the year is Brendan Fraser. Yes. I think he's already won an award similar to that on multiple different stages at this point but his counterpart who also um, starred in Encino Man is it Ki, Ki Hui Kwan who was who is nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Everything Everywhere all at, all once. at once and deservedly so but it's not like he's been you know at the top of the Hollywood food chain for the last almost 30 years since Encino Man now so I mean he had his time uh, but I think both of them I'm, I'm glad that they're both here and I saw that little video of them so so sweet hugging it out and just acknowledging that like they did a movie 30 years to uh, 30 years ago together and then 30 years later like they're still there uh, so it would be something if Fraser were to win best actor and Quan to win best supporting be really sweet um but i think yeah they both deserve to be in that conversation for comeback performer i agree what's next best ensemble performance best ensemble is a category that i think needs to be recognized more i think the academy should include it because it would do a lot for the people that received it and it also opens up the concept of acting as a team rather than acting as an individual because right now it's only celebrating individual performances and I know Everything Everywhere All at Once has won some ensemble awards uh, in other award shows and deservedly so but the one that I want to bring to the table is uh, Women Talking 
because none of those actresses got nominated for their performances. No Claire Foy, no Jesse Buckley, no Rooney Mara. And that's just really sad. Like, they were all so good, but it was more of a collective effort than it was an individual effort. And I think there needs to be room to recognize that. And the other one that I would throw into the mix is Broker, which is nominated for Best Foreign Feature. Um, really good performances across the board there as well. But I'm going to say Women Talking because of the identity of the film and the notion that like this is a community of women in this story and that they're supporting each other. So they're all supporting roles. There's no lead role, really. And I think for that reason, plus the quality of the roles, I'm going to say uh, Women Talking should get Best Ensemble. Or I will give it Best Ensemble. How's that? What's next? Performers of the Year. Ooh, Performers of the Year is a tough one because it's hard to really... It's hard to get into sometimes because what do I need to look at? Like who had the most good roles over the course of the year? And so the people that are going to be in the conversation are Hong Chow, who was in Menu Whale, um, showing up. Anya Taylor-Joy, also in the Menu. She was in Northman and Amsterdam. Very good year for her. Margot Robbie, Babylon, and Amsterdam, so she's got a couple. Colin Farrell in The Batman, Banshees of Inisherin, 13 Lives. Like, Colin Farrell definitely in that conversation. And Viola Davis, Woman King, uh, and then she had a couple of TV shows as well. And I think in past years I've opened the idea of this up to beyond just film roles because... You know, people are working in a lot of different venues, or excuse me, a lot of different avenues, a lot of different uh, production houses. And so I think one of the easier ones is Jenna Ortega, because she's taken the world by storm this year. And even if you take Wednesday out of it, she was still in Scream X, American Carnage, and she's good in everything she does. And I mean, she's just in the Scream that came out this weekend. So, and you, uh, is she in the new season of you? Not the new season, but she, she was in that season last year. Kind of where she got like her breakout. Um, but yeah, she, so then you add Wednesday into the mix, which was like a huge success over the last like few months. So I think Jenna Ortega is the easy answer and I'm fine with that, to be honest. Like she's been good in everything. I think I like, she, she rose to prominence so fast that like I couldn't even give her a breakout award if I wanted to. She's well beyond that at this point, and it only took a year. So 2022 catapulted her into superstardom, and so she doesn't even need a breakthrough award. <laughs> um, and then the other side of that for performer of the year, based on similar merit, I would say is Pedro Pascal, who movie-wise was only an unbearable weight of massive talent, and I think it's called The Bubble, but... He's fantastic in unbearable weight. And he's also doing Mandalorian and Boba Fett. And now he's got Last of Us going too, but that started, I think, this year technically. So Last of Us doesn't count. But he's carrying the Disney Plus Star Wars stuff essentially by himself. And he got to co-star with Nick Cage in one of my favorite movies from 
last year as well. So Pedro Pascal, Jenna Ortega, I already went through the runner-ups. Or honorable mentions. Who's next? What's next? Go for it. Best use of sound. I love that the Oscars eventually just folded and absorbed this. I started doing best use of sound before they condensed sound editing and uh, sound mixing into one award. So I'm glad that they followed suit. They learned. Um, I think for me, it's either, again, easy answer, Top Gun. Because it's such an action-centric movie that the sound is essential to how that movie functions. But the one that surprised me the most, I would say, is The Whale. And how the sound design in that film tells that story. So I've already given Top Gun something. I'm going to say Whale. Give it to The Whale because it gives you something you don't expect. Like Top Gun should have good sound mixing and sound editing because it's Top Gun. It's not something you would typically expect from uh, a very emotional drama, you know? So I'm fine with that. Next. Best original song. Whew. Best original song. I know, I think what, Rihanna's got one for Black Panther. Lady Gaga's got one for Top Gun. Top Gun. I mean, I'm tempted to say Lady Gaga, but also because of the circumstances surrounding Black Panther, it could lean that way. But I think Black Panther won Best Original Song last time for the previous Black Panther. Could be wrong, but I think so. I'm going to say Lady Gaga. It, it comes on at the end. I think it should have been more prominently featured in the film during Top Gun. See, look, I don't have to go very far to get to giving Top Gun another award. So let's say Lady Gaga and just leave it at that. Okay. What's next? Best original score. Best original score. That's a challenging one because there's so many options. The Batman has got a great original score. Um... Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross have a good one for Bones and All. Carter Burwell's got a great one for Banshees. I think John Williams' score for Fablemans is excellent as well. And I think maybe because of the scope and the subject of Fablemans, John Williams' score might be the one that I'm looking at here. But there's a, like, The Whale had a really good score as well. Um, but I kind of narrowed it down. Let me see. I think The Sleeper for me would be All Quiet on the Western Front, which is Volker, Volker Bertelman. Because there is a weird instrument called a harmonium that gets used a lot to great effect. It's not there for the majority of the score, but it definitely stood out to me a lot in the beginning. And it's very intense. It's something that you would think you would hear out of, like, Dune. Like a spaceship is landing and making a ton of noise. Like, it's that kind of sound. So it seems like it doesn't necessarily um, fit with what your expectations of a World War One movie would be. But I liked it. I just don't think there's... I think there's only, like, ten tracks on the soundtrack. I was listening to it the other day. It is good, but... If I had to go with one, I would say John Williams. A, he's John Williams. B, he scored a Spielberg movie. And C, his score plays a large part in that film. So, 
Yeah, I mean, it's John Williams, of course. Just give it to him. Okay. What's next? <laughs> Best costume design. Elvis. Right? I mean, Black Panther's probably in the conversation as well, but... Like, the Elvis costume design had to be so fun. Because there's, there's some, like, throwaway... Not throwaway shots, but... There's, like, some scenes where it's quickly flipping through, you know, a number of costumes he's wearing to kind of simulate that this is a show that he's doing every night and he's going through hundreds of shows. But they had to make that costume and dress Austin Butler in that costume every time, and then they had to shoot it and splice it all together. So I'd definitely say Elvis, but Everything Everywhere All at Once had some really creative, good costumes as well. But I think I'm okay with... Elvis winning costume. I think I'm alright with that. Okay. What's next? Best production design. That's tough. Everything, everything Everywhere All at Once is going to be in the conversation for a lot of that kind of stuff. I think All Quiet on the Western Front has ridiculously good production design. Um, but it is very like muddy and dirty and not particularly sexy uh, Babylon has very good production design as well I want to I want to say Bardo though it's not getting a lot of love but <laughs> it's nominated for cinematography and a big part of that is how the production is designed I could see like Babylon is very extensive in his production design as is Avatar as is All Quiet on the Western Front it's a close race in my mind, and I don't want to overly favor a movie that I loved in terms of just personal taste, but I think out of, like, combination of respect and personal taste, I would go with All Quiet on the Western Front. What's next? Best visual effects. Avatar. But I think everything... Yeah, but... Everywhere like, all at once should be in there, too. I mean, I, I don't know what is actually nominated, but let's see. Let's see. But didn't Avatar uh, come out this year? Uh, No, December. Mm. So it's Batman, Black Panther, Top Gun, All Quiet, Avatar. Mm. Look, there's some good contenders in there, and if in another year there wasn't an Avatar that came out, any of those would win. But even not particularly liking Avatar I do acknowledge that the visual effects were astonishing so it is what it is Avatar VFX you can have it <laughs> what's next? best cinematography that one I will say Bardo although All Quiet on the Western Front has a really good look to it as well but of all the awards that Bardo could have gotten nominated for and didn't it somehow managed to sneak into cinematography for the Academy, so I'm going to promote that where I can. Uh, the cinematography is amazing. Uh, it's, there's some really like breathtaking shots in that film, so I'm, I'm totally fine with that. But if you want to say like Maverick or something, because they put a you know super high-quality uh, camera on an airplane cockpit and flew that airplane around with the camera on it, when you think about that, the cinematography is crazy. That's intense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's cameras in all of those cockpits with all of those actors, actors. really doing that. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, man. I'm tempted to change my pick. In terms of conventional cinematography, Bardo is like good shots, framing, etc. Nice, long, continuous one shot that moves throughout the sequence. Like really brilliant, smart, great looking stuff like that. But I don't know. You stick a camera on like a F-18 and like, let's go fly that. I mean, ugh. all right. I've talked myself into it. Maverick. Yeah, because remember we were reading that they sent it up. And then would just go for several hours and then come back and then see, like, okay, what footage did we get? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not even nominated. Really? Yeah. I guess Empire of Light snuck in there. It's Bardo, All Quiet, Elvis, uh, Empire of Light, and Tar. Tar's got some great cinematography as well. So, hey, at least Bardo's in there honorable mention to Top Gun and we'll call it a day. Okay. Move on. What's next? Best international feature. Ooh, one of the best categories in the Oscars this year. One of the best categories, I think, in general of uh, submissions to the Oscars as well. You really had... Where's my list? Where's my list? I mean, we just saw Quiet Girl. But also um, Broker is in there best international feature is a very deep and competitive category the ones that i think are in the conversation at least are like what we saw we saw quiet girl um i saw recently bardo which is not in the conversation in the oscars but um i also recently saw return to soul which i think didn't make the cut for me good film i don't think it's one of the five best um all quiet on the western front decision to leave which when we saw that i was like this is my favorite movie of the year it's still in that conversation i think it got a little shafted when it came to what was going to come out of best international feature to get nominated for best picture um and i think maybe just like the detective being a little like too horny for this murderous widow steered people wrong but decision to leave is amazing uh what else we got in there close broker petite maman should have been in this conversation vortex gaspar knows movie about the aging parents and the whole movie is split screen like vortex is amazing i don't know how it didn't make this category it's sad it's depressing it's about old people getting old like yeah it's tough but it's a brilliant film i think honestly like all quiet on the western front is the winner because it's amazing but that's already nominated for best picture you know it's it's got so many of its ducks in a row already and i think it's kind of a slam dunk i think it's the only international feature that got nominated also for best picture so if that tells you anything it's the one that came out of that camp and made it to the next round so that tells you obviously what the voters uh, think. And I think that's okay, but I'm gonna say decision to leave. I still, like, it's more enjoyable than All Quiet on the Western Front. And I think that counts for something because 
All Quiet on the Western Front is such like a brutal war movie that I don't want to watch it again anytime soon. But I do want to see Decision to Leave again. So, Decision to Leave. Runner-up Vortex, and then... Uh, that's fine. All Quiet's going to get plenty of attention. And I like it. it. it it's fantastic. It's... We'll, we'll get to that conversation a little bit, but um, what's next? Best Adapted Screenplay. Best Adapted Screenplay. I think Sarah Polly for Women Talking. But also, All Quiet on the Western Front is going to be in that conversation <laughs> as well. Um, is that the movie to sweep everything this year? Honestly, if it were an American film, I would say yeah. If it were not a foreign feature, it... If it were not a German World War One movie, it would have all of the things in line. Cinematography, score, uh, it would win like all the technical stuff for sure. Cinematography, score, production design, costume. You get really good performances too. It's just it's like not a name actor, so it's easy to be like, oh, this guy wasn't good. But the kid in the lead, um, Kammerer, he's great. And it was his first role, too. So it's like, I could have given him Breakthrough Performer. We'll, uh, we'll get back to that. Because it's, it's, that title's going to come up again. Okay. Moving on. When are, where am I? Where did I leave off? Best Adapted Screenplay. Did you make a pick? No, not yet. Okay. Um, yeah, I think Women Talking. Living is a good one, too. It's adapted from a Kurosawa film. Very good, but I think Women Talking just deserves more attention than it got. It is nominated for Best Picture, though, so go figure. Uh, <laughs> Sarah Polly, director? Mm, yeah, they're going to say no to that, but we'll let her movie be Best Picture anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think she did a great job with it, and I think she deserves the credit for you know being able to put this together based on Miriam Taves' novel. So, yeah, Sarah Polly, best adapted screenplay. Women talking. Women talking. Okay, moving on. Yep, what's next? Best original screenplay. Oh boy, what do, what do I even have listed over here? Okay. So the real contenders, I would say, for best original screenplay would be Tar, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Banshees. Those are the three, I think, realistically, that have a chance. Tar, because of, I think, how textured it is. Like, it's very deep. So if you could watch it and not get that deep and still walk away from it and be like, okay, I understood what happened. But if you sit there and, like, you get into the other levels of Tar, it's very good. And it's, it had to be well written in order to structure all the stuff that way. Banshees is a very interesting dialogue, uh, strong screenplay that's very personal, uh, and it's very poignant. It's just really about like outgrowing friendships that are no longer beneficial to you and kind of just how that happens in life. And then everything, everywhere, all at once is probably the most original of all of those. But are you going to, you know, give the screenplay credit to that film? I could say, like, if it's 
if you're gonna go with like most original it's definitely one of them but it's not the like the first multiverse movie you know it's not the first kung fu story it's not it's not like really breaking ground in any of those ways but it's the first one to really combine a lot of things effectively so i could see that like it was the only movie that made me laugh and cry i think think back on it a little bit but it really i mean i know that i cried during it and laughed i'm just i i know tar didn't like give that to me i know that banshees didn't give that to me but without actually having like read each of the individual screenplays and just kind of like having to give a little bit of like guesswork to which screenplay translated best from page to screen probably tar if i had to guess okay because of how complex it is and it's a movie that like i was thinking about for days after i saw it and then i like i've read different interpretations of exactly like what happened and why it happened so i think having that much uh depth and kind of ambiguity to it is a good sign and tar is a great movie it could win best picture so i think best original screenplay is makes total sense in this case but the other two are definitely i think in that conversation for sure what's next best supporting actress oh we're in like the big ones now mm -hmm. best supporting well i mean i would like to give it to stephanie sue but who else is even nominated for that okay best supporting actress i think the real players would be Angela Bassett for Black Panther. Although I think that is maybe not the best performance. I understand why she's in the conversation. She's great. She's probably the best performance in that movie. Uh, she has to do a lot of emotional heavy lifting. Uh, Hong Chao in The Whale. I mean, I'm happy for her that she got nominated for this. Um, and she's great in it. I don't think that she'll win um, and I think ultimately that movie left me wanting more of her which is a good sign but also a sign that there wasn't enough of her role in the movie to begin with the movie should have been more about her and Fraser's character and less about the weird teenage drama that was going on Carrie Condon uh, and Banshees of Inisherin, which you didn't end up seeing with me did you I did not She's great. I don't think she's going to win. She might, but I highly doubt it. Um, and then Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Sue are probably going to split. But I would like to say Stephanie Sue on this. Because, like I said, I gave her the breakthrough, breakout performance, whatever. I titled that thing. can't even remember. But I think she brought so much to the table in that film that I just hope... Jamie Lee Curtis isn't taking votes away from her which like because like Jamie Lee Curtis is good in the movie it was really fun to see her like kind of have a role like that but in terms of what that movie is you could more or less remove Jamie Lee Curtis's character and you could maybe even definitely replace her with some other actress and not focus on the kind of comedic aspect of that role as much but if that role is going to be there 
and you want someone to have fun with it, she does a great job. I'm not taking that away from Jamie Lee Curtis, but I think in terms of the core of what that film is, Stephanie Sue is essential to making that movie work. And so I hope that she gets it because I'm going to pick her. Okay. Next. Best Supporting Actor. Key. We're going to do E-E-A-A-O all the way. Key Hui Kwan. <laughs> Best Supporting Actor. Uh, Barry Keegan is like my heart's pick on this one for Banshees of Inisherin, but if you're going to give it to someone in that film, I think you have to give it to Brendan Gleeson. Barry Keegan's great, but again, he's not central to the performance, and I don't, or not, he's not central to the film, and Gleeson is, so if they're both nominated and they're splitting votes, if I have to pick between the two, I'm going to go with Gleason. But I do love Barry Keegan, and he's great in that movie, and I want him to win for, like, just personal reasons. But also, Judd Hirsch, small role in The Fablemans, he's great in it. Don't think that really he should be in that conversation, but, you know, whatever. Um, and then uh, Ki Hoi Kwan. I think when we watched that film one of my first impressions after the movie was over was like, I really hope that he is in the conversation for best supporting. And I'm glad to see that he still is. And I would love to see him win. So I'm going to give it to him. And then my, like my heart pick beyond that would be Barry Keegan, but I'm going to give it to Quan. Okay. Next. Best actress. Ooh, the heavy hitters now. I mean, it's really a two-person race, right? It's really Michelle Yeoh or Kate Blanchett. It's either Michelle Yeoh or Kate Blanchett. <laughs> Final answer. Well, I wanted to make sure I was talking into the microphone versus when I'm talking over here and it doesn't sound like I'm talking into it. We're almost done. This is really fun. I know, right? <laughs> It'll be better if I ever do my homework ahead of time. <laughs> be way better if I do it in advance. Or I just don't do it at all. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It's it's a lot of work to try and do this all by your lonesome. You know? Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I don't keep a spreadsheet well enough during the year is the problem. You should probably try that. Yeah. That's what I always say. And here I am three months into this year with an empty spreadsheet and no <laughs> answers. Which is surprising since you love spreadsheets. I feel like this should be easy and fun for you true you would think so i know that my favorite movie of 2023 so far is linoleum okay and then dormouse i got those two that's it <coughs> anyway back on topic uh best actress it's definitely i think a two person race at this point um andrea riseborough maybe I, I never saw it to Leslie. I know Donald recommended it. Um, and then it was just a lot of backlash for all the support that came in for Riseboro, like within the industry. Oddly enough, um, to me, it the conversation is between Michelle Yeoh and Kate Blanchett. And it really comes down to what you prefer. Uh, 
And Kate Blanchett is excellent in Tar. She's fantastic. But I think that performance is more narrowly scoped. And Michelle Yeoh has to encompass a lot more from her character than Blanchett does because of the film, because of the character design. It's not about capability of the actress, but Kate Blanchett plays a character that you don't like and you never like, and Michelle Yeoh plays a character that's complicated and who has issues with her daughter and with her husband and with her own life, and she oscillates between kind of like being a, not to borrow the term of the title of the movie I just said, but being like a dormouse versus being like a badass. So in terms of what I like, I feel like well-roundedness and balance are important things. And so I'm going to say Michelle Yeoh. And it's weird that at this point I've given it to her, to Stephanie Sue, and to Key, but I have not selected them as best ensemble performance because I think it's really the three of them, which is fine. But I think with women talking and ensemble performance, it's three key roles, but also like the community sense of it. So I'm just explaining why I didn't uh, give everything everywhere all at once the ensemble awards that it's won basically everywhere else okay all right so where are we at what's next best actor actor i mean brendan Fraser. brendan Fraser. i know and i was reading today somebody being like very hyperbolic on twitter about how brendan Fraser winning is like setting us back and yada yada and Ultimately, I don't think so. To me, it's just the performance. Like, you're reading too much into it. It's just what did the performer on screen do? Did he make me care? And I think the answer is yes. I think there's a reason that everyone's been behind this performance for so long. And it could be because you didn't expect this out of Brendan Fraser. Like, when his career is mostly known for kind of, like, goofy stuff in the 90s. To see this from him is surprising. So it's like reality versus expectation but also you know the lady that we saw the movie with the girl sitting next to us like she was in a puddle of tears when that movie ended uh yeah sobbing she didn't get up yeah i know and we both cried at the end of it as well because he's that good in it that he's able to elevate a lot of the lesser elements of the film to still make it a good film um and if you want to be critical of aronofsky or like the way they portray the character, you know, those are all things that you can be critical of, but I don't think Brendan Fraser's performance is on that list. So I give it to him. I liked Austin Butler as Elvis, but honestly, like, I don't think he should be in the conversation for best actor. Like he did really good, but I saw other performances this year that I think would be better than that. Uh, no offense to him. If he wins, you know, congrats for him. Elvis is a hard role to play. You know, he's such an icon that 
it's like if you step into those shoes, like Rami Malek and Bohemian Rhapsody, like if you step into the character and you just come close, I think, you know, the momentum will carry you the rest of the way. Not to say that Rami didn't deserve it or anything, but playing Freddie Mercury and playing him well, I think gives you extra credit versus if you were playing that role and it was just about a singer and not about Freddie Mercury. So if like Austin Butler was just playing a rock star, you know, from the 50s that didn't happen to be Elvis, would he be getting recognized in the same way? I don't think so. But hey, good luck to him. I hope he does well in Dune and drops the accent because Dune 2 is coming out and he's in it. All right. What's next? Best director. Best director. Best director. Always one of the fun ones. Sarah Polly should have been nominated. She's not. Uh, I think if you're going to give Fablemans an award, it would be for director. And that would be Spielberg. I think the person I would give best director to, though, is Todd Field for Tar because of how complex and beautiful that movie is and also horrifying and also very frustrating. Um, yeah, Todd Field. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> You'll have another chance, we know. <laughs> yeah, he probably will. Not that he needs it. He's Steven Spielberg. Right. But uh, yeah, I think Todd Field. Okay. And then I guess in that conversation would be, yeah, Daniels, the Daniels for E-E-E-I-O-U, everything everywhere all at once. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Should I edit that out? It's a stupid, is that a (laughs) Ronald McDonald joke? Is it? I don't know. It's late. It is. I'm tired. I am as well. Well, we're coming to the end. Yep. It's... The finale. It's nine o'clock. Are we there? Are we on the? We didn't do director of the year though. That was not on this list. I don't know why it should be on the printed list, but I guess I didn't include it. Maybe last year is what happened. But what's the difference between director of the year and best director? Director of the year, similar to performer of the year, is something I give out for the director whose body of work over the course of the year. Like uh, not one particular film. Correct. And so sometimes, like somebody doesn't have two things you know most of the time someone doesn't have two things it's a lot of work um but i thought i gave it to edgar wright last year for last night in soho and the sparks brothers documentary pretty sure but it's not on the list so i don't know if i didn't sorry edgar i missed that one (laughs) but this year it's luca guadagnino Right? Yes. So yes, director of the year goes to the director whose body of work over the course of the year is the strongest. And a lot of the time, you know, there isn't more than one movie or there's not a director who's got more than one project coming out in the same year. And in this case, one of the projects was finished in 2020, but didn't release until 2022. So it's kind of like an asterisk. But Luca Guadagnino, who also directed um, Bones and All, one of my favorite movies of the year, that just 
I don't know, just didn't get the kind of love that I had hoped. Um, it's not really quite a horror movie. It's not quite a romance, but definitely some weird stuff going on. And he also directed, as I said earlier, the uh, Salvatore Ferragamo documentary. I think it's called like the Shoemaker of Dreams or something like that. Um, so two good high profile projects uh, and one of my favorite movies of the year. So give that to Luca. And then best picture because like, I gave Todd Field best director yeah okay so best picture narrowing it down so I think realistically everything everywhere all at once tar all quiet are the three legit contenders I would fold in Maverick in there as well but I could see why I could see why you wouldn't want that to be best picture but I think realistically like in terms of like style execution like just everything across the board All Quiet on the Western Front Tar and Everything Everywhere All at Once would be the three and then some of the other ones in the conversation like I said would be Top Gun uh women talking is kind of like a little bit lower on the bar but still there banshees maybe but for me it's really down to those three i think and between the three of those between the three of those i think similarly to how i view something like uh performance or cinematography right it's less about being singular and so while all quiet on the western front is brilliant it looks great uh well acted shot well production design uh pacing like i mean it's a little long but excellent film definitely in the conversation like i said i think if it were like steven spielberg made it you would be looking at that as potentially best picture and still might win, but I think for me it's kind of singularly focused. And I know I just gave Todd Field best director because, like I said, Tar is brilliant. It's not necessarily singularly focused. Uh, it's kind of like a haunting ghost story, but also about this person's abuse of a power structure that they kind of absorbed. So it's it's more layered than All Quiet on the Western Front. But I don't think it's quite as layered as Everything Everywhere All at Once. And when I saw that movie at the time, it's one of only a couple movies that I saw multiple times in theaters. And it kind of became this thing of like, so many people like it that it can't really be that good, right? And I think that's a stupid way to look at things, to be honest. I think the fact that it connected with so many people is a positive. And I think that's because it gave you a lot of different perspectives and it gave you a lot of different emotions. Whereas the other two films that I think are excellent films in terms of their film making and probably better films in terms of their filmmaking craft than everything everywhere all at once they don't have the heart they don't have the sense of humor 
They don't have the ability to not take themselves too seriously because Tar and All Quiet on the Western Front take themselves very seriously. And that's okay. That's, you know, they're, like I said, they're great films. I just said Todd Field is the best director this year. Um, All Quiet on the Western Front, probably best international feature too. So those are excellent films, but I just think that for my personal preference, I got more out of everything everywhere all at once, and I think I would get more pleasure in subsequent viewings. I've already seen it twice, so there's a third one that's on deck. I should watch Tar again um, because I want to watch it with a different mindset, but I was already picking up on some of like the subliminal stuff that was happening the first time I watched it, and which is why I liked it so much. But I think I'm perfectly okay saying everything everywhere all at once and hoping that it sweeps the Oscars and all that, you know, it's, it's preference, but you saw that movie, you loved it too. It's a movie that like you, me, my sister, we all saw, we all loved. And then a lot of people loved it, but for some reason, like that's being construed as a negative, like, oh, it's too popular. Like that's okay. Not every best picture has to be this like, thing that nobody's seen so I wouldn't be mad if Tar won I wouldn't be mad if All Quiet on the Western Front won those are both great films even if Women Talking won I'd be surprised but I wouldn't be mad so everything everywhere all at once give it all the awards everywhere all at once (laughs) (laughs) I gave it a lot you know what did I do? Probably on my list, I gave it like four or five. Yeah, I mean, I think it's well-deserving. Yeah. Best picture, actor, actress, supporting. Effects? No. No. Best original screenplay? I don't even remember. I have to listen back to this. My spreadsheet is not complete. It's, <laughs> it's not definitive, but, you know, like I said, I'm not going to get to see everything that I wanted to see there's going to be some outliers uh but i need to get this done and so i'm totally fine putting my stamp of approval on this if you want to give me shit for it come find me you can find me on twitter give me all the shit you want no one cares everyone's got opinions on movies so because of millions of opinions when millions of when millions of opinions just aren't Aren't enough enough. yeah that's why you come to me (laughs) all right well on that note I'll let you get out of here. It's a little after nine. Thank you for bearing with me as I get into the editing process. Thanks for having me, babe. Thank you for being here. And I look forward to moving forward with our show together that is hopefully way less stressful. Yes. It's going to be fun and lighthearted and it not is. work. Cinema Stripathon. We've got, I think we're five movies in to like a nine movie stripathon. Where's the cap going to be on this? Um. Well, we have to at least watch Hustlers because we didn't see it. That's and then there's some supplemental stuff like Zola that can go on the end of the list. But we've seen Zola, so yeah, that's what I'm saying. We don't have to rewatch okay. it, but I'll I'll keep it in the category of like here's these stripper movies. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Um, if you're watching the Oscars, I hope you enjoy it. If you're not watching them, I totally understand. Happy Oscar Sunday. Happy Oscar (laughs) Sunday. Take care, everybody. 
thanks to everybody that took the time to listen to this episode. I know you've got a lot of choices when it comes to how you get your movie podcast entertainment. This show is an extension of thescheiss.com. And you can also catch me hosting Bad Movies We Love, which I'll be posting some new episodes soon. So once again, thank you for your time. It's much appreciated, and have fun at the movies. Mm-hmm.